Good morning. Well, again, as Pastor Jared said, uh, my husband Brandon and I, uh, many of you have heard him speak. He's been here before and been blessed to be with you, but together we pastor Canyon Creek Church in Mill Creek, Washington, and uh, we have three kids. Our oldest uh, daughter, she is a senior at the University of Washington, and then we have twin boys who are 16, so please a moment of silence for my insurance bill. (laughs) It's no joke. (laughs) Um, But it is such a tremendous privilege to be here. Pastor Jared and Devette are very dear friends of mine and Brandon's, and uh, we count it a joy to uh, wrestle alongside of them in this whole church planting and pastoring journey. And it's, a, it's almost a little intimidating of a privilege to be asked to be here. It's, it's, it's a big deal when a pastor gives up his microphone to somebody else. So I count that as a huge honor. And I'm grateful And I could list off a lot of hobbies and all kinds of things for you this morning to get to know me better, but really what you need to know is that I'm just a lover of Jesus. I just want to pursue and chase Jesus, and if I can spill some of that out to you, I gladly do that this morning. Uh, We've been talking uh, at the Collide Conference, and they love that theme, Collide. And so we've talked about what it would look like to have a collision with God's power and what it would look like to have a collision with his presence. And last night, Pastor Jared shared what it would be like to have a collision with his vision. And then this morning, I'm here to share with you my true heart, which is that you would collide with his love today, that you would encounter the love of God. And if you are here and you don't know the love of God, you are on a collision course with that love and it will transform you and change your life And it's done that for me. And so I'm going to tell you the beginning of the story for myself, and then I'll leave you hanging for just a little bit, and I'll pick it up at the end. But I was born to a 15-year-old mother and a 17-year-old father, and they both dropped out of high school, and they had me, and they were married a month after that at 16 and 17. And they're still married today, which is awesome. Uh, But that is not an easy way to start off your marriage or parenthood. And uh, they came from very broken homes and a lot of difficulty. And so they they didn't have church experience at all. They hadn't known a church life. They weren't raised going to church. And so therefore, in those early years, neither was I. And so uh, it's, a, it's actually a really cool story how I ended up going to church, but I'll save that for another day. But I ended up in a church, and at six years old, I asked Jesus to come into my life, and I surrendered my life to him. And uh, shortly after that, so did my mom. And then I have a younger brother who was then, he was a baby, so he was raised uh, in that environment. But we moved shortly after that. And so my mom determined that she should do the right thing and find a church. And so she picked the church that was just right down the street from our house, which was a little Lutheran church. And uh, you don't have to know a lot about Lutheran churches. All you need to know is I grew up learning the Bible And I am so grateful for that. I knew the stories. I could tell you the stories of things God has done throughout his word. I could tell you stories about Jesus. But what I didn't know is that I didn't actually know the Lord. I knew about him, and I could tell you stories about him, but I didn't actually know him. Now, I wasn't aware of this condition, uh, but when I graduated from high school, and decided to go to college, through another crazy series of events, I ended up at a Christian college, which is in Kirkland, Washington. It's called Northwest University. And it was at Northwest University, uh, just a couple weeks into my freshman year, 
I was sitting in a class called Foundations of the Christian Life, and it's a required class to go to school there. And the professor was teaching that day on the Lordship of Christ. And what he was describing was this love that Jesus has for you and for me. And because he has such great love for us, what he asks of us is that we will surrender our life to him. And that it's not enough to just have prayed a prayer as a child or prayed a prayer at some point in your life. It's a regular surrendering of your life and your future and your dreams and your hopes and your fears to the Lord. And sometimes it's not just a daily thing. Sometimes it's an hourly thing. And I am sitting in that classroom and I am looking around at my fellow students who this is not earth shattering news for. And it is rocking my world. This concept has never entered my mind that there was anything more than I prayed a prayer as a child and I know who God is. And this professor is proposing that I have it all wrong. And my world is completely upside down. And I had to determine, what am I going to do with that? And so that's where I will pause and we will pick up that story in a moment. But if you are here today and you maybe right now find yourself similar to where I was at that moment, sort of all of a sudden understanding that there might be more to this whole relationship with God thing than I thought to begin with. Or maybe your heart has grown, grown cold or you've walked away from the Lord or maybe you've walked in here for the first time today or you're watching online and you are thinking, if there's more, I want it. I'm here to tell you that you are on a collision course today with the love of God, and I am excited for that to happen. The perfect, unfailing, immeasurable, unfathomable love of God that is for you and for me is for today. And so I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes with me and pray. Could we just invite God to have his way in our heart and in our life today? Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are exactly what we need and who we are looking for. We are made with a need and a desire for you. And Jesus, you know that I have nothing to give this group of people but you. I don't have the right words or answers or intelligence or giftings. All I have is what you've deposited in me, which is a love for you that I ask would just spill out on this room, that your presence would be real and unmistakable, and that your love would be tangible to each and every heart in this place. And we thank you for that, and we say amen. There's a great example in Scripture for us today uh, of somebody who collided with the love of God, and his name is Paul. And uh, if you're familiar with Paul, you know that he also goes by the name Saul. And so Paul was his Greek name, Saul was his Hebrew name, and they're used sort of interchangeably in the Bible. So if you just file that away in your head right now, I might say both names, and I'm talking about the same guy. And his story is found in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, and I'll refer to that in just a moment. But let me give you a bit of background about this Saul guy. So this is a guy who was a religious zealot. Okay, zealot as in really, really, really into the law. And when I say the law, I mean the scriptures and all the do's and the don'ts that existed at that time period. He was somebody who thought, if I pursue the law, 
if I apply the law and I walk out the law to the absolute best perfection level, then I will secure for myself a place in heaven, eternity, and I will secure for myself fulfillment and happiness. Furthermore, it's not just the law for me, but I take upon myself, this is Saul talking, I take upon myself this commission to enforce this law in everyone I come across. And so Paul, or Saul, had become this zealot in enforcing the law. Things like Uh, you must be circumcised if you're a male to have any hope of salvation. Those kinds of things he took upon himself as the enforcer, believing he would inherit eternal life simply by being the police of the scripture. And so this man would go before judges and before high councils, and he would ask for permission to go and seek out Christ followers followers who are clearly not adhering to the, the law, in his opinion. And since he had commissioned himself as the policeman, he is now going to find them and bring them to justice. And he would hunt down Christ followers, and he would bring them before uh, a judge or before a council, and they would be on trial. And ultimately, the penalty was almost always death. Scripture says that he was breathing out murderous threats, which means as often as you breathe in and out is how often he was seeking out those who were disobeying the law to bring them to justice. That's this guy. And this guy had gotten permission to travel from Jerusalem to Damascus to seek out what he had heard were Christ followers in that area who he would now drag back to Jerusalem and bring to trial. Now, this distance was about 140 miles. If you could drive there, or in this case, they didn't have cars, walk there in a straight line. But since it wasn't a series of roads in a straight line, it was more like 200 miles Uh, scholars estimate he would have had to journey. That's how murderous his intentions, that's how bent on finding those who were disobeying the law in his opinion. And then he would go and he would find them and he would drag them back to Jerusalem. So that's where we pick up the story of Saul. He's on the road to Damascus. He's in this 200-mile journey. And if you're following along, you can look at verse 3. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, this murderous mission, a light shone from heaven, and it shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here's this collision. He's just collided. His life is just intersected with the power, the presence, and the love of God. And Saul replies and says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and then you will be told what you must do. Now, Saul has had such an encounter that he's been knocked flat on his back. Those who were traveling with him, Scripture says, are are speechless. They heard a voice. They sensed this power, but they could not see anything with their eyes. Saul also has been stricken blind. And so scripture says that his companions had to lead him by hand into the city of Damascus, where for three days he is so wrecked by this encounter with God that not only can he not see, he also can't eat or can't drink. And we can only just imagine how he's trying to process what has just happened to him. After three days, a man comes to him and says, I've been sent by the Lord to pray for you. I've been sent by the Lord basically to commission you to this new life. You, the guy that was going this way, murderous, intent on destruction, and intent on 
enforcing the law, now headed this way, now intersected with the love of Jesus. That man comes and lays hands on Saul. And when he does, Scripture says that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, that he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, his life is turned upside down, and that began the new guy, this Paul guy that we read about in Scripture. This is the guy that now begins ministry. He begins preaching. Now, I'm going to skip ahead about 25 years in Paul's life. Don't worry, we'll kind of fill in the gaps in a second. But about 25 years later, Paul writes this phrase. And he says, I want to know Christ. I, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. Now I'm adding my voice inflection. That is hard. We don't know how he said that by scripture. But I know what that phrase does inside of my heart because if you understand this little important piece of information, it changes the meaning of the phrase. And that is the word no. Now we read the word no and we think no, knowledge of. Kind of like me as a young person growing up and thinking, well, I know all about God. This word for no is not no, it's no. It is literally translated from this idea of a passionate love, of a pursuit for Jesus, of a longing for and a desire for intimacy. This attitude of I'm chasing after you, I'm pursuing you, Jesus, I'm coming for you. So when Paul says, I want to know, it's I want to know because I love you and I am coming after you and I am chasing you and I am desiring an intimate relationship with you. I want to know you. Where did this guy come from? This guy who went from murderous, seeking people out to bring them to justice because they are not adhering to the law to I want to know you, Jesus, and that is all of my life wrapped up in one sentence. Where did it come from? Well, the cool thing is he documents it for us. So if you have your Bible, if you'll flip over to Philippians chapter 3. Now, Philippians was Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And in this letter, he documents a little bit for us that in between. What happened to this guy? And if you're following along, I'm going to read first verse 7, Philippians 3. Verse 7, it says, I once thought these things were valuable. What are, what are these things? These things that were valuable to him that he says I now consider worthless because of what Christ has done. What are these things? Well, remember, these things are all his attempts to follow the law, to perform correctly all these attempts to enforce the law, this religious zealot, this legalistic guy who thinks that if I follow the law to perfection, I'll find fulfillment and I'll find satisfaction and I'll secure a place in eternity for myself. All of those things that he once thought were valuable are now considered worthless because of what, is, what Jesus has done. Now, you and I might not be able to relate to the exact things that he considered worthless. I mean, probably not sitting in here today is a religious zealot who's seeking to murder people who do not follow the Bible. But can I just put it in maybe some modern day language for us? Maybe we're not a religious zealot. Maybe we're not seeking to enforce 
circumcision as a law for believers. Maybe we're not seeking to behave uh, according according to a certain stipulation in the Old Testament, but maybe we're thinking, if I live a good enough life, if I'm just good, if I'm a, if I, if I'm a good person, I'm going to be fulfilled and happy, and I'm going to secure a place in eternity. Maybe, maybe we think, if I follow all the do's and I don't do all the don'ts, then I'm going to be happy and fulfilled and I'm going to secure a place in eternity. Maybe we think something like uh, I can earn my way by behaving a certain way or I'm better maybe in my behavior than that person or that group of people. And so therefore, surely there's a place for me, but when we encounter the love of Jesus, when we get to the point where we can say, I want to know him, I want that love rooted deep inside of me, I want to pursue him with everything that I've got, it interrupts our life. It turns all the priorities upside down. It puts us on this collision course where now everything is different. There's a before and there's an after, and all you want is him. And can I add to that, you don't just want to know about him. You want to know him. You want to know him. Paul had experienced this real love. How do we know that? Because it's not just the dramatics of the story that changed him. It's the love that he had to have encountered that would cause him to say everything else is worthless except to know him at that depth. He goes on in verse 8. He says, yeah, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing that depth knowing, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting all of it as garbage just to gain Christ. Garbage. We know what that word means. That's the stuff you put in the waste bin with the wheels on it and roll out to the street so the garbage man can come pick up. But we miss some of the understanding of that word with that translation because what these readers would have understood by the word garbage is what the original language intended for it to mean, which was dung, feces of humans or of animals, sediment, that drops down to the bottom when you're trying to ferment wine and make something pure and all the impurities drop to the bottom and you have to strain them out. Or maybe you're trying to have purified metal and all that, all that impurity rises to the surface and has to be skimmed off and thrown away because it, it makes it worthless if it's in there. It meant fruit that falls from a tree and is now rotting on the ground. Dung worthless garbage. That's what Paul considered everything else in this life compared to knowing Christ. In fact, he says compared to gaining him. And you may not know this, but if you research that original language, to gain means to know and to love with a depth and an intimacy. Everything else was worthless. In fact, Paul didn't care what it cost him. He didn't care how far he had to go or what he had to do. He didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care if he had more to lose. He was willing to lose it in order just to know Christ, nothing else. And then Paul brings it all home with verse 10, and that's, that's the phrase I already read. That's the phrase where he says, 
I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to love him. I want to pursue him. Paul's saying, I don't want to just know about him, but I am coming after him. I am pursuing him. I am chasing him. It is my life's work. I want to pursue him with everything I've got. I want to love him. I'm going to pick on the word love. I'm actually going to pick on a couple words for a second here because I think we use words that are intended to have great depth and we use them very flippantly. So I'll start with an easy one. I'll start with hate. So uh, something that I hate, fun fact, (laughs) I hate styrofoam. (laughs) I hate styrofoam. In fact, I'm kind of phobic of styrofoam. It's just the worst thing created. I hate styrofoam. You probably hate traffic. I hate traffic too, but you probably hate it on a level that I don't even understand living in this area. So we hate things like traffic. We hate rude people. I hate people who go to Costco, abandon their cart in the middle of the aisle, pretend to care what the taste tester's nutrition facts are, but really they just want to eat the food, and leave their cart in the way so I can't go down the aisle. Okay? We hate a lot of things. The problem is when we say that we hate traffic, And then we say we hate sin, or we hate divorce, or we hate backstabbing or evil. There there is such a disconnect of how broadly different the extremes of that word can be. Let's use the word starvation. I mean, we say I'm starving. I mean, man, I'm starving. It's been like two hours since I ate. My stomach is growling. And I'm at Costco, and I smell all of the things that they're making, and I'm starving. But the problem is, if you've seen or experienced real starvation, that word has just been made worthless compared to real starvation. And now let me come back to the word love. Because we do this to the word love, too. Because we say, I love coffee. I love new shoes. (laughs) I love shopping, which I don't, but some of you do. We say things like, in Seattle, you have to say, I love the Seahawks, or you're a traitor, and you're cast out of the state. You guys say, I don't know what you say, because you're confused about football, so (laughs) I don't think you love the Chargers, but okay, we love the Chargers. We'll stick with the Dodgers. Dodgers fans. So we say that we love these new shoes, and then we say, and I love my husband. And we say, I love my new car, or I love this new phone, and I love my wife. And we say, I love coffee, and then we say, I love Jesus. And we have just destroyed the word by trivializing it with all these things that aren't worthy of our love. He's the only one worthy of our love. And the Bible has so much to say about how he feels about you. You want to know what love is? You look at how God feels about you. Uh, in Psalm 36.5, it says, Your unfailing love, O God, is as vast as the heavens. And I love unfailing. It never fails, God's love for you. And so I just thought, I'm going to look up everywhere the Bible says something about God's unfailing love. Are you ready? Here we go. Because of God's unfailing love, we will not be shaken. We have guidance. We are surrounded. We have redemption. We have mercy. We have comfort. Because of his unfailing love, Our enemies are silenced, and we can trust him. In fact, God would say to you this morning that though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken. 
Scripture goes on in Romans 8 and says nothing can separate you from that love that God has for you. Not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not fears for today or concerns for tomorrow, not even the power of hell itself. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. In fact, we can't understand this kind of love. It's so hard for us to understand. We don't understand the width and the height and the depth and the breadth. Scripture tells us we will never understand understand his immeasurable love for us. I'm going to use a verse that you're probably familiar with, and it's John 3:16. but would you hear it this morning in the New Living Translation to try and grasp God's love for you? In John 3:16, it says, for this is how much God loves you that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, everyone, every one of you, every single one of us who believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And Jesus demonstrated that love himself when he willingly went to the cross for you and for I to bridge the distance that separates us from God. And here's the thing. You can't run too far. You can't sin too much. And you cannot fall too short of that love. In fact, you You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, and you can't have enough of it. You were made to know God, and I mean know like that kind of a love, because nothing else will satisfy the hole that he put inside of you, hand-carved out specifically for his love. It's the only thing that brings fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. And when you know that kind of love... It should mess you up. In fact, it should mess up your whole life. It should mess up how you see this world. It should affect how you spend your time and how you spend your money. It should affect your marriage. It should affect your church attendance. It should change you. It should wreck you. It should mess you up. That love of God that is unfailing. Come on. And we have a choice and that is to love him back. And so if I go back to that 18-year-old girl, me at 18, sitting in a classroom having my whole world be rocked by this understanding that God's love for me should mess me up, that I shouldn't be the same and I shouldn't look like other people. And I had to decide, what am I gonna do with this? And so I went back to my dorm room Sadly, I had to search for a Bible, and then I had to wipe the dust off of it and open it up, and I knelt on the nasty 35-year-old carpet of my dorm room, and I, I wish I could say it was just this easy decision where I just decided, but I wrestled because I think somehow I knew it's going to cost me everything It's going to cost me the people I spend my time with, and this is going to, I'm all or nothing. It's going to cost me who I'm around and the environments I put myself in and what I watch and what I listen to and how I spend my time, and am I willing to pay that price for the love of Christ? And you probably guess that because I'm standing here this morning that I made that decision And it was in that moment on my dorm room floor, and it still makes me emotional. And I'm not really an emotional kind of girl, but it makes me emotional to think just a glimpse is what I got 
of my sin and my brokenness and my need for Jesus Christ, I was so I was so ashamed of how distant I was and what lip service I paid to God and all the things I knew about him, but the fact that I didn't know him at all. And in that moment, his love was so real and filled my dorm room and filled my heart to overflowing. And I said, Jesus, you know me because you made me and I'm going to give my life to you. And it means I will go and I will give and I will do whatever it is as long as you will take me and let this love fill my life. And the thing is, I wasn't a girl that struggled with depression, but I struggled with direction. And that's probably a lot of you in this place. What is the purpose I mean, I was a college kid getting a degree, thinking, is this what it is? I'm, I'm going to get a degree so that I can get a good job, so that I can go to work every day, so I can earn a paycheck, so that I can pay bills, so I can get up tomorrow and do it again. Is that all? No, it's not all. The love of God is what changes all of that. It's what brings purpose to everything and everywhere you go. The love of God. And the love of God is for you here today. And before I just pray for you, can I just give you a, just a couple quick things? Because I want you to know this love. And I want you to know it because, first of all, he's so passionate for you. Jesus isn't waiting for you to find him. He's not hiding from you. He's just waiting, but he's also pursuing you. He comes after you. His love is searching for you and pursuing you. This love is important because everything else is meaningless, worthless, garbage, dung, dross, sediment, feces compared to the love that Jesus has for you. This love is important because you were made to be passionate for him because scripture says that if we will taste and see that the Lord is good, guess what? Nothing else is going to compare to that tasting and that experience of loving God and because your passion for him is contagious. See, when you encounter the love of God and it wrecks you and it gets inside of you and it fills you up, it doesn't just stay inside, it spills out. And it spills out to your family, it spills out to your spouse and to your kids, it spills out in your workplace, it spills out in the grocery store, and it certainly spills out here. And when you gather together a group of people who've encountered the love of Jesus and you gather their passion into one room, it is something happens in the atmosphere here. And what happens is people who walk in the door, they sense the love of God. They sense his presence. They sense that he loves and he accepts them exactly the way that they are. And that is, that is a powerful thing when you combine that love of Jesus together. Jesus.